Webster's Dictionary defines deceptive as having power to cause someone to accept as true or valid what is actually false or invalid. And as much as I hate to admit it, those of you who were here last week were the victims of deception. Because my good friend Nathan shared a story of a fishing trip that the two of us went on together. And he was very kind enough to show you some photos of that fishing trip. If you go to the next slide, this is, these are the photos that he showed, clearly indicating that I caught next to nothing and that he caught an absolute monster. What he failed to tell you, and what I kind of discovered this week as I sat there, because I, I looked at those photos, and, I, and as you can see, that photo taken of me taken in 2017 on the trip we went on in 2017, but I didn't recognize the photo he posted of himself. And upon doing some investigation on his Facebook profile, I realized that photo was taken in 2020 on a completely different fishing trip. Deception. And what he also failed to, to tell you and show you is the picture of the actual biggest fish caught on that weekend, which was caught another only by yours truly. Thank you. Now, I honestly had no intention of actually calling him out on it, but in his message, he said, your truth is not necessarily the truth. And so I felt like I had no option but to point that out to you all this morning. Now, I can also assure you that that was the only deceptive part of his message. The rest of it was spot on. And if you were with us, Last week, Nathan preached on the passage just before the passage that Weston read us, um, 2 Timothy, specifically the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. So for those of you who are not here, 2 Timothy is a letter written by Paul, uh, the man primarily responsible for taking the good news of Jesus Christ and proclaiming it beyond the context of a Jewish setting. Um, and he wrote this letter while he was sitting in prison. And as he sat in prison... He kind of knew that this was probably it for him. This was probably the tail end of his ministry. And so he writes this letter to his friend and his apprentice, Timothy, with his final words of advice. And, and Paul knows Timothy well. He knows the world that Timothy is going to be proclaiming this message in. He knows that there's lots of false teaching and mixed messages going on. He knows that there's a lot of opposition to the the message that he is proclaiming to the world. And so Paul, as Nathan explained to us last week, writes to Timothy, telling him to remain firmly planted in the word, in the holy scriptures, and to use them as his fixed point in this ever-changing world, right? And allow it to be the foundation through which he interprets and sees all that's going on around him. Because, according to Paul, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so Paul tells Timothy, preach it, right? Preach the word. Be prepared to do so in season and out of season, right? When it's convenient for us, when it's not convenient for us, when it's easy for us, when it is challenging for us, when it benefits us, and when it does not benefit us. Use it to correct, rebuke, and encourage. And how? Right? By shoving it in their face? No, 
with great patience and careful instruction. So that was what Nathan touched on last week, and we carry on with this same passage. Um, And so my message today is not so much a completely different message, but really just a continuation on of what Nathan unpacked for us last week, where he gave specific focus on the word, and I give specific focus on the faith. And so thank you, Weston, so much for reading our passage this morning. And I'd like to start not by drawing our attention to the first things that Paul says in this passage, but actually the very last thing he says in our passage this morning. So Paul, again, in knowing that his time is likely coming, has likely come to an end and is reflecting on the life that he's lived in spreading the gospel message, he says this, that I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And I'll draw your attention to those final words, I have kept the faith. He doesn't say, I have kept my faith, as if faith was something that was exclusively his or unique to him. He says, I have kept the faith. And that's a little different from how we sometimes talk about faith, right? Because often we do talk about it as it's this personal thing, right? It's my inner belief or trust in something that's meant to be nurtured and strengthened, and that is certainly not a wrong way to think of faith. That is, a, that is a biblical way to view faith, right? Many times in Scripture we see faith talked about as if it's something that is personal to us. Like in that verse we all know so well, John 3.16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life. Um, And so that word belief, right? The Greek word in John 3.16 for belief is the same Greek word that, that Paul uses here when he talks about the faith. But in John's version of it, it is in its personal form, right? It is about our faith and our belief. But as we see with Paul, in this passage and in many others, that's not the only way that word is used, right? Sometimes scripture isn't referring to my personal faith, but the faith, right? Where the emphasis isn't on the person who possesses it, but the emphasis is on the faith itself, right? And the contents of the faith itself. Even if we just stick to, I mean, we see it here, but even if you stick to all of what Paul writes to Timothy. So in 1 Timothy 4, he says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon, not your faith, that will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons, you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be good ministers of Christ Jesus, nourished by the truths of your faith, no, the faith, and of the good teachings that you have followed. Again, later in that that chunk of scripture, you see Paul once again say, fight the good fight of the faith. And so what I think Paul is reminding us here is that it's not just important to have faith or for your faith to be strong. That is important. But that's not the only thing that is important. It's also just as important where and what that faith is directed to, what it proclaims, and what a life penetrated by that faith looks like. And so, yes, you all have your faith and I have my faith, but they are meant to be informed by the faith. Right? Faith isn't just this individual thing. It's meant to be this corporate thing where we share 
one united faith, right? Not rooted in something that each and every one of us has discovered on our own, but for what, from what God has revealed to us through his prophets, through his son, through his apostles, as we have recorded for us in the word. And this is why I think Paul has such a thing for sound doctrine or sound teaching. If you read any commentaries on any of Paul's letters, and well, they'll tell you, like, okay, why is he writing this particular letter to this group of people or to this person? And while he, he, may, he often has different reasons why, the one that seems to be in most of them is that Paul is trying to address some kind of false teaching that was going around that Paul did not want to seep into the, the personal faith of the believers. Right? Because for Paul, proper and accurate faith are important. And he wanted the church to be united in one corporate faith. We see him write in Ephesians that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope where you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So are you with me this morning? Your personal faith and level of trust level of trust in God is very important. It is very important. Do not hear me wrong. But so too is where and what your faith is directed to, what it proclaims, and what a life penetrated by your faith looks like. Also very important. So if we go back to our text this morning and actually start at the beginning of Paul's words, he says this in verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And so Paul is pointing forward, pointing Timothy forward to a time when people's own selfish desires will play more a role in shaping their personal faith and their theology than their desire to uphold the faith, right? Than their desire to yield themselves to the faith, right? Instead, they will be guided by their itching ears, right? That, that which is pleasing for us to hear, that which feels good, that what we so desperately want to be true, possibly, depending on who you are, maybe that which avoids conflict, that which allows us to accept any and all behavior in terms of, which, which in turn allows us to be accepted and loved by everyone, right? And the pull to that is obvious, right? It's nice to avoid conflict. It's nice to be loved by everyone. But Paul's warning is that following your itching ears and just what you want to be true leads you away from the faith, doesn't say it, would, it will lead you away from your faith or a faith. It may not. But he does say it can lead you away from the faith. Now there is, if you read the plethora of scripture in this book, there is a lot of prophetic literature in it. Most of it seems to not make a lot of sense sometimes. Um, I don't know if I've read a prophetic passage and thought... Wow, I think that applies to us today as much as when I read this one. 
And that is not a shot at any person here. I think, I think this is so descriptive of the time that we live in today is because simply of the world we live in and how easy it is to follow your itching ears. Um, and again, before you think I'm calling anyone out, I, I group myself in as someone who I can identify as times in my life I have followed my itching ear and want just following what I really want to be true. Because we live in a world where it is very easy to do that. We live in a world with unlimited information at our fingertips. And so if you have a question on something, you can get an answer in the length of time it takes you to type it into Google. And you can do it for anything, right? And while that is certainly a blessing in many, many ways, it's also a big challenge for people not wanting our faith to be informed by our itching ears, but to be informed by the faith, right? Will the Leafs win the Stanley Cup this year? If I am a delusional Leaf fan, as I am, and I want them to win the Stanley Cup. If you gave me 30 seconds, I could find an article online that gives you 10 reasons why they will win. If I'm not a Leaf fan, and I don't want the Leafs to win, give me 30 seconds. I can find you an article that says 10 reasons why the Leafs will not win the Stanley Cup. Both answers readily accessible to us. And you can apply that to many other much more important questions than will the Leafs win this year, right? How should I budget my money? You can find a lot of answers to that question and contradictory answers. Should I be vaccinated? Remember that question? I'm glad that's hopefully behind us. Um, what is a human being? What is gender? What is marriage? How do I find happiness in life? It doesn't really matter what you're looking for. It doesn't even really matter where you look for it. Books, podcasts, the internet, even sermons. Um, lectures, you can find the answer that you really want to be true and that works with your previously constructed view of the world. But if you looked for it, you could also find an answer that you don't really like and that doesn't really fit with your previously constructed view of the world. Both answers readily accessible to us. And so when you live in a world like that, there's a very clear draw and easy temptation to just want to step into the answer that we so desperately want to hear instead of setting aside some of our own selfish desires, whether that be a desire to avoid conflict, desire to be loved, desire to uphold qualities and lifestyles that are dear to us, to set that aside and wholeheartedly pursue the faith, right? to pursue the way, the truth, and the life as Jesus invites us into. And when, when we fail to do that, when we fail to set all of those desires aside, when we follow our itching ears, as Paul says, it doesn't lead us to the truth, nor does it lead us to being united in one particular faith. Right? It leads us to the gospel according to Jacob Pirro, or the gospel according to Nathan Allen, or the gospel according to Jessica Rollins or Brendan Rollins. Those gospels are not the gospels of Jesus Christ, right? Those are, according to Paul, not truths, but the myths designed to please our ears. And so instead, Paul says, let your personal faith be informed by the sound doctrines of the faith and your desire not to hear what is pleasing to you or that itches your ear, but to be faithful to the faith as presented to us, both 
in this beautiful book and by those around us who faithfully witness to the truths that this message proclaims. And Paul, as he writes to Timothy, he knows that these are words that are much easier said than actually lived out, and so he gives him another encouragement. He says, even though you're living in a world that has a lot of messages going on around you that probably want you to to, um, compromise the faith, Paul says this to, in verse 5, to keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, or in the NLT translation, fully carry out the ministry that God has given to you. So that when you too get to the end of your life, as Paul has here, and you too reflect back on the life that you have lived, hopefully in service to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you too, like Paul, can say that I have fought the good fight, that I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I think the the temptation and the ease that there is to following our itching ears is one challenge we have in upholding the faith, as Paul tells us to. But I don't think that's the only challenge we have, and there's another challenge I'd love to bring to our attention this morning, simply by nature of living where we live, and that is our desire for progress. Right? Progress is like our world's telos, or end goal. Like everything needs to be, and often is, moving forward, advancing, improving, right? We have this fascination with progress, and it even shapes the way we look back in time and view the history of the human race, right? Specifically in the West, right? We view the history of humanity as this linear upward progression where we are constantly advancing the human race, constantly getting better and progressing, And that's how we typically view it in the West. Other cultures don't always see it that way. Oftentimes, other cultures, and in other times, see history as cyclical, right? As we make improvements, but then we kind of move too far one way, but then eventually the next generation corrects, but it's this cycle, as opposed to the West, where we like to see we are constantly moving this way. There's no doubt, in many areas of life, this is happening, and it's good, right? Like, we are advancing. I'm really glad I have a car to drive to work, and I'm not riding a horse and buggy to work. I'm imagining most of you would appreciate that too. But just because individual areas of life are definitely progressing doesn't necessarily mean we're, as a human race, progressing forward and for the better, right? And I think it's at times when we see Wars break out in the Ukraine, or Ukraine, not the Ukraine. I was corrected on that this week. Um, The data on the mental health epidemic that seems to be happening in our country, um, when you see police officers killed on duty, right? When we see this stuff happening, it certainly challenges a view of history that we are always progressing for the better. But nonetheless, that's, that's typically how we see things, that we are progressing and that progress is always good. Right? It's like why we love words like progress and innovation and forward thinking and improvement and expansion. And we don't really like words like stagnant 
or standing firm or staying put because those words just elicit feelings of you being old-fashioned or stuck in the past or set in your ways or stubborn or resistant. It's also probably why I'd be willing to bet that when I started talking about sound doctrines this morning, some of you thought, ugh, doctrines, boring, right? Doctrines don't help us progress, right? Those keep us in the past, right? When Paul tells us to stick to the sound doctrines of the faith, there's no room for growth there. There's no room for evolution. There's no room for improvement or expansion, right? It forces us to stay put, right? And so when you read Paul tell us that, you may think to yourself, as I do, like, wow, that is, that is a bold thing for Paul to say, to tell people to stay put when the world seems to be progressing on to bigger and better and more relevant things. And I think that is right. I think that is a very bold thing for him to say. But when I read the scriptures and understand what they are and understand the faith, I think the reason Paul can so boldly tell people to stay put is because he's confident in where the authority lies behind the faith. Like he understands the authority behind it. And again, this is a little bit of what Nathan touched on last week, that the faith as described in the word of God is not an accumulation of man's greatest discoveries. Right? These are the words of the Holy Spirit speaking through God's faithful witnesses, proclaiming the truths that he has chosen to reveal to us. Right? The faith is not discovered truth. It is revealed truth. God has revealed this to us. So you see, in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so... Before we ever existed, the triune God was. He just was. He existed. Right? And it's through him that all things were created and made. Right? We are the creation. He is the creator. He is the author of reality. And so he's uniquely able to deliver a category of truth that carries an authority that no created being can. John, in his gospel, goes on to say that the Word, and in this passage he's referring to God the Son, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He goes on to say that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known or in some translations, has revealed God to us. Right? That's what the scriptures are. And that's what the sound doctrines of the faith are. God's revealed truth about himself. It's something that Paul goes out of his way time and time again, if you read through some of his writings, to make sure he hammers down on this point. Like in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 3, when he says, in reading this, You'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in previous generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. There's a reverend at a church in England called All Souls. 
um, Charlie Scrine, and he says this. He says, We don't know God because we make progress. As if we reach up towards him and get clearer and clearer as we go throughout the centuries making progress. We know God because God the Son has stepped into our reality and has made him known to us. Right? That's why Paul so confidently tells us to keep the faith. Right? To use the Holy Scriptures as our foundation and to adhere to its sound doctrines and teaching that it presents to us because it, because it is the most authoritative source from which we can search for truth. Um, worship team, you guys are, are welcome to come back up. Um, so a lot's been said uh, this week and with Nathan last week. Um, if you at all tuned him out or you at all tuned me out this morning... Um, Paul so graciously summarizes most of what he says to, to Timothy in two sentences. Um, he gives his like thesis for all which he's trying to relay to Timothy at the tail end of his life as he's trying to give him these final words of instructions. He summarizes this in two sentences. And so if you haven't heard anything the last few weeks, these are the two sentences I need you to hear. They're found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. So Paul, in, in writing to Timothy, he says this. He says, What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Right? Which, which for us means, keep the words of the apostles and, and all, of, all of the words in Scripture as the building block of our faith. Right? Allow the faith as presented here to inform your personal faith and your belief in God. And then he goes on to say this, and this is a verse that's popped out to me numerous times throughout the past little while, and it is, is an action-packed sentence. He says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it. Do not alter it. Remain firm in it. Remain faithful to it, and it being a good deposit, right? A message that's not just true, but that is good, right? That brings hope and peace and love and wholeness. And a good deposit that was entrusted to you, right? We, we didn't come up with this message. It was revealed to us. We inherited this message, and this message was revealed to us through the word and through those who faithfully witnessed to it. And so, having received this good deposit, we've been entrusted to remain faithful to it and to pass it on. And how exactly, well, Paul tells us, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so if, if our desire is to guard this good deposit, if it's to remain faithful to its message and the way it calls us and invites us to live our lives, to not be led astray by our itching ears, but instead be led by our desire to keep the faith, then it does require the Holy Spirit working within us 
Right? It requires us inviting the Holy Spirit to work within us, with specifically a Holy Spirit humility. And as we sang that song earlier, I couldn't, couldn't help but bring my attention to that Holy Spirit humility that it invites us to participate in. Right? So that as we go to the Word, we need a humility that overpowers our own selfish desires. Right? A humility that recognizes that we are not perfect, that we don't have everything figured out, that we aren't the source of truth, and that sometimes we just we misread things. And I put myself in that category sometimes. Sometimes we misread things. But that same humility, that Holy Spirit humility that keeps us coming back, keeps us coming back to the ultimate source of truth with a holy curiosity to help us better understand the faith and under, better understand the words that God has so graciously revealed to us about himself and how he invites us to live with him. And so I'll close with, with one final quote from that same reverend, um, Charlie, where he says this. He says, We didn't come up with the gospel, nor did we improve it. We inherited it. And the gospel is always only one generation away from extinction. And so the task is to pass on the gospel, or in the language we've been using today, the faith, unchanged in all its revealed wonder from the God who gave it to us to those who will receive it and take it on after us. Why don't we pray together? Lord, we pause and acknowledge your presence here with us. How grateful we are for that. Um, that you don't leave us to figure out things for ourselves, but you give us your Holy Spirit to try and help us figure out who you are and who we are. And, and Lord, we thank you for your revealed word and the faith that it proclaims. And Lord, we, just, we come before you now just fully acknowledging that each and every one of us sometimes can be led astray, sometimes have desires that overpower our desire to remain faithful to the faith that you present to us and that you invite us to live. And so I pray that as we continue to devote ourselves to you and in the words that you have revealed to us, that you would allow your spirit to work within us and lead us to not the gospel of Jacob, but the gospel of your son. Because that is our truest desire, Lord. Um, to live a life that is in full honor and glory of you. But we know that we can't do that without your help, Lord. And so, reveal blind spots to us, Lord. Um, reinforce truths that we do have and that we do understand. Um, and may those truths rise to the surface in our lives and as we go out and proclaim to the world, Lord, that, um, that you are the savior of this world and that you offer a life, the fullness of life that nothing else can. Lord, I've, I've been reminded that there are many things that make that claim, so many things in our lives, Lord, that claim that they can provide life to the full. 
But Lord, we just want to acknowledge before you this morning that we know that you are the only one that can deliver on that promise. And so help us to live faithfully um, within the realm of your kingdom and how you call us and invite us to live so that we can benefit those around us. And I pray these things in your precious name. Amen.